Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, everyone. So we are now starting a new series called This Thing Called Love. Today is separated from love with a big question mark. Can you be separated from love? We'll see. I've lived long enough to see many things in my life. These eyes have seen many things, some things I didn't want to see. I'm going to focus on those. Good things and horrible things, you know, bright things, dark things. I've seen fire, I've seen rain, seen cloudy days I thought would never I was just seeing if y'all are awake. Yeah, I did it, hon. <laughs> she was like, that's a risk. Oh, man. On a more serious note, I've seen parents have to bury their children far too young to die, sat with husbands and wives who are shattered by the betrayal of adultery, I've seen healthy people get sick, die, I've seen traumatic accidents that change lives forever. Seen innocent lives lost because of senseless violence. Maybe I'll put a face on that one. I was walking into a movie theater in Dallas, and the policeman walked over and said, you guys need to get out of here. They're like, okay. As someone across the parking lot ran a guy over. Senseless violence. Seen far too many things that I wish I didn't. I sat with devastated families who found a loved one dead by their own hand. Listened to the cry of the innocent little children's hearts broken by the unspeakable things that people have done to them. I've watched alcohol, drugs, pornography addictions tear families apart. Seen some violent altercations. You ever see a lynch mob? Unfortunately, I've had the awesome experience of seeing more than one of them. The embarrassment of someone whose secret sin suddenly got exposed at a really inconvenient time. The shame and the guilt that weighs like an anchor. So many people are burdened because of their shame. The mistreatment of many, even people that have things like PTSD that they've suffered in combat serving so that we could have the freedoms that we declare today. The power of debilitating words that have been spoken over people some people get a label, and they never come out from under it. The anguished sob of a broken heart, hope unrealized. I've watched the rich become poor. The loneliness in the dark of night, or even in the dark night of the soul. The rage and the bitterness for people that are wronged. Often it destroys them. There are many, many things I don't even want to mention, from terror attacks to wars, from humanism to false religions. Hatred is rampant on the earth. Selfishness, pride. Humans do horrible things to other humans. It all started in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Why don't we read what the Bible has to say on this matter? 
The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And if you like reading, John Bevere talks about this. And he does actually a really good job explaining the difference between revelation knowledge and communicated knowledge. Because see, God spoke to Adam and said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. He didn't say nothing about touching it. But Adam, when he was trying to communicate it to his wife, don't eat the fruit of the, actually Eve, don't even touch it. <laughs> Took it a little bit further. Adam had revelation as to the why. Eve didn't have the revelation. She just had the rule without the relationship, without the knowledge, without the information. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. A few short verses give us the account of how sin and death entered into humankind, entered the earth. And since that day, to, to some degree, the world has been under a curse. And there's been death, there's been pain, there's been suffering, and there's been destruction. And mankind fell from innocence because of their disobedience, because they couldn't follow one simple command from the Creator. <laughs> Don't eat the fruit of that tree. Then again, if you've ever raised children and you've said to them, don't touch the hot stove. How many of you touched the hot stove? From this very point in Genesis, death and suffering and pain and disease and sickness entered the human race and suffering will exist on earth until he comes again or until we meet him when we conquer our last enemy, which is death. So either we're going to die and go meet him in heaven, or he's going to come back and set up his kingdom here on earth. But until you go to the next life, pain and suffering will exist in your world. And some people have a really hard time with that. It should challenge us. Because I hear questions all the time, well, if God's so good, why does he allow? And if God's so loving, why, why, why? God is loving, and I hope we're going to get to that by the end of the message, because I don't want to leave you without hope. <laughs> but see, God gave humans freedom of choice right from the beginning. And from the beginning, Eve had a choice to make. Obey God or disobey God? She chose disobedience, and because they disobeyed, all of us are reaping the consequences of that today. But don't think you would have done any better. Now, separated from love, separated isn't really separated as we would think. It has to do more with a separation in relationship. Mankind in sin is separated from God, separated in relationship from God, because my Bible tells me that it, nothing can separate us from His love. But then again, how many of you have had children or brothers and sisters that have done some things that horrify you? 
even husbands and wives. But do you stop loving them because of the choice that they made? You don't. Why? You, you don't condone what they did, and sometimes relationship gets broken, but it doesn't change your love for them, and we're humans. God who created us, He loves us so much, so nothing will ever change His love for us. But because He loves us when we make choices in relationship not to be with Him, He will allow us the freedom to make that choice. We read earlier that while we were still not in a right relationship with Him as sinners, He still made a way for us to come back to Him through Jesus and the cross. So ultimately, you as a human have to choose if you're going to have a relationship with God or not have a relationship with God. And, you know, people ask me my favorite verse all the time, and I, and I jump around a lot, but I think as I meditate, every time I hear that verse in Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, He died for us. While we were still lost in our sin, when we weren't looking for Him, He still made a way for us. That's got to be one of the most revolutionary verses in the whole Bible, because if you had an understanding of how much God loved you and the great lengths He went to, to restore relationship with you. So when we become separated from relationship with God, and ultimately God is love, we become separated from our relationship with love, because that's a part of his character. So you can reject his love and you remove yourself from his presence. So by choice, you can be separated from his love. How are we doing? In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says that, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. Your sin will break your relationship that you have with God. He sets boundaries. Anyone ever set boundaries in relationships? We got a course on that if you don't. Because boundaries are healthy. Even God sets boundaries. But you know, I'll often tell my children, if you do this then this will happen. But if they don't do this, guess what? This shouldn't happen. How many say that's a boundary? In life, isn't it like that? If you show up for work, you might get paid. Or maybe that's how it's supposed to work, not how it actually works. Right? There's these if-then things. God says, if you obey me, then these things will happen. If you're faithful to me in the tithe, I will do this. If you're not faithful to me in the tithe, guess what? He has no obligation to do this. And see, it's the boundary that he sets and enforces. He gives us the choice. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure. You can obey God or disobey God. If you obey him, these are the things he says are going to happen for you. When you disobey him, other things are going to happen. Now, I want to go to John chapter 9, and I'm going to pull a verse out of his story, then I'm going to go back and tell you the story. This is a, a guy who was born blind. Jesus heals him. He's talking to the religious leaders the second time, and he says, you know, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Now, let's go back. This guy's blind from birth. Jesus walks in, he heals him, makes mud, puts on his eyes, suddenly he can see again. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders, so they're questioning this guy because everyone's all excited about the blind guy that can see. 
Now, usually when a blind guy gets his sight back, it's a holy man who represents God here on earth that's enacting that transaction. Right? We doing okay? So when he comes to the Pharisees and they're questioning him, they're going, Jesus, we don't know who Jesus is. Jesus is a sinner like you. How in the world? They're, they're assuming he's a sinner like you. So how could he heal you? How could, I, I think God's the one who healed you, but you know, who's this guy? Jesus. So they're arguing with him, but even amongst themselves, they're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> this is a pretty bona fide miracle, so this man might be from God, so we have to be a little bit careful when we handle this. But they didn't believe the man. So they get his parents, which is crazy because he's a grown adult. I mean, how many of you have a grown adult child who has to go to court and the court calls the parents in to verify what the child is saying in a situation that they had nothing to do with? So they bring in the parents. Now the parents heard that anyone that was talking about this Jesus guy was gonna get kicked out of the synagogue or kicked out of church. So they answered very carefully. Let's choose our words carefully. Listen, this is our son and he was born blind. As to what happened to him for how he received his sight, why don't you ask him? He's an adult. I'm not saying nothing because I don't want to get kicked out of church. But I'm going to tell you something. If, getting, if believing in Jesus and the power of God gets you kicked out of church, you probably don't want to be in that church. Then they cursed him and said, you're his disciple, right? This is the second round with the man that was blind. I'm reading it, actually. You're his disciple. But we're disciples of Moses. We're better than you. We're more holy than you. You're just a blind beggar who God miraculously looked down on and healed, you know, but we're the holy guys. And we know God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this man comes from, Jesus. And then the man says, why, that's very strange. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he came from? And then he goes on and says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those that worship him and do his will. The man who was healed concluded that Jesus had a relationship with the Father. He concluded that he was holy and righteous and good, but they couldn't see that. You know why? Because they were in arrogance, because no one could have a monopoly except them on their relationship with God. That's why no church should ever tell you we're the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Oh. Some of you will get that. We'll, we'll, we'll point you to Jesus and then you can get to heaven. That's what our job is in churches. It's a group of people that fellowship together. But so what did they say? You pathetic sinner, get out of here. You aren't going to teach us. Ouch. Think about that. God did a great miracle in this man's life, and he started to go tell others the message of hope about Jesus, the good news of the kingdom. And the religious leaders looked at him and said, yeah, how dare you? Go away. Who do you think was separated from love in this story? The ones that thought they knew something? the ones that thought they were righteous. See, in their pride and in their arrogance, they missed the very Messiah when he walked right in front of them. Just a thought. 
But how many times do we think we know something <laughs> when we could probably learn something? Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. By rights, because of our sin, as soon as you broke one of the Ten Commandments, guess what? You're not able to approach God, because God's holy. And God does not want to have a relationship with unholy. But you chose sin, so you broke relationship with Him. You walked away from Him. If this is the straight and the narrow path, and God says, stay on it, and you walk off it, who moved? Right? Who moved? We did. We walk away from Him. Now, what God wants us to do is walk back to Him. We need to come back to Him, but you have to understand there's a penalty for sin. There's a price to pay for sin. There's a consequence for sin. When Jesus came to earth, we gotta, we gotta get this. This is like core foundational Christianity 101. He came because God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to earth to live among you. We doing okay? Isn't that John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. God loved you so much. Now watch. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus. So you see the love of God is present in this whole series. We want to talk about some of the different aspects of love. Today I want to talk about nothing can separate you from his love. Separated from love, really? But we can talk about broken relationship where we move away from him. But see, God is just also. And his justice demands payment for sin. There's a consequence for sin, and that is separation from God. So when we go to this cross, and I think some of you are really excited about our cross being back up there. We had to revamp it, but I think they did a great job. Here's the thing. When Jesus went to the cross, it was the perfect marriage, harmony between love and justice. Because you see the love of God and the justice of God executed at one location. His love for us caused him to satisfy the justice and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on our behalf. Do you see how that works? So we gotta have an understanding of this because the cross marries the two. His death satisfies the justice of God against sin, but his love for us caused him to go through that so that we don't have to stay in sin. Now I'm going to go to Romans 7. But how can that be? Verse 13. Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. What does that mean? When God gave us a command, thou shalt not pick one. Just seeing how many of you guys know. <laughs> Have no other gods before me. Or thou shalt not steal. That was a command. Now, how many know that command is for our, our benefit? When God gives you a command, he gives you a command for your benefit. It's for your benefit that you obey the command. But sin, when we break the command, turns around and brings condemnation in your life, and then you feel beat up in shame and guilt. 
So that's what he's saying. He's saying it's funny how sin can take God's good command and turn around and make you feel guilty and ashamed and actually break your relationship with him when you break his law. The trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Aren't we all? Or are there some of you going, I'm not a slave to sin? Pharisees. <laughs> I don't really understand myself. For what? <laughs> for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Anyone ever been there? Yeah. I really wanted to buy my wife flowers, not a treadmill. <laughs> I don't know what came over me. I'm kidding. <laughs> my wife and I are really practical people, and we don't want to spend money on something we don't need, so we bought something that we needed mutually agreed. Okay. But the thing is, I have to take a number to get on the thing because my kids are always on it. I never knew my kids liked running so much. All of a sudden, yeah, Dad, I love running, just not in races. I'm like, oh, topic. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. How many know when you do something wrong, your conscience beats you up and lets you know this is wrong? Even before you do it, you know you shouldn't. You got that little voice that says, don't do it. Then there's that other voice that says, do it. Don't do it. And there's a battle going on in there. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. <laughs> you know, has anyone ever had to conquer an addiction of some type? It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol or porn. It could be food. People get addicted to themselves. People get addicted to relationship. People get addicted to all kinds of things, especially those little Reese's pieces. <laughs> I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. And really, that's what we have to understand. There's a battle going on in your mind. This is where the rubber meets the road. It's your thoughts. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to wrestle with our thoughts and cast down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we wrestle with our thoughts. And sometimes when thoughts come, you have to wrestle with them and throw them down. And you know what? Sometimes they get back up and you have to wrestle with it again and throw it down. And then you have to wrestle with it again and throw it down. That can be a thought of, I'm not good enough. That can be a thought of, I'm not worthy. That can be a thought of, I'm anxious or I'm afraid. It's amazing what people will do in the name of fear. But there's another power at me that is at war within my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Interesting. So Paul is basically describing humankind from the time of the fall to the time of Christ. And moving on from Christ, he's going to present us with another option that we don't have to live like this as a miserable, sin-dominated, guilty, ashamed person. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin because there's a war going on between your flesh and your spirit all the time. Your spirit in Christ wants to do what's right. Your flesh wants to serve itself. Spirit wants to do good. Your flesh wants to do all kinds of things. There's this thing we call our mind, our emotions, that kind of sit in the middle. And usually what happens is whoever has more evidence wins. If your flesh has more evidence, you sin, and then you feel shame and guilt. If your spirit has more evidence, you do what's right, and then you feel good but not proud. Listen, the struggle's real, is it not? I mean, most of us are in the struggle every day. Some of you might not struggle every day, but at least every other day. I'm kidding, Pharisees. The struggle's real. You're going to struggle every day put your flesh down. That's why Paul makes statements like, I die daily. What does he mean? I take my life. I kneel down before the foot of the cross. I lay my burdens down. I lay my life down, my selfish ambition down, my desires down, and I take on the nature of Christ. I start developing the fruit of the Spirit inside of my life that it talks about in Galatians 5. And what am I doing? I'm pursuing my relationship with Christ because I'm doing what I can to stay away from sin and put my feet on the straight and narrow and pursue Him and obey His, his will. Now I want to jump to Romans 8. Next chapter. I'll go to 18. And he says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. You mean this temporary sacrifice where I crucify my flesh and lay my life down each day is only temporary? Yep. The suffering you go through today in sacrifice is only temporary because for all of eternity you will reap reward for your obedience to what God has called you to do here in this life. That's actually kind of good. And then he says, for all creations waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are, and against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Because realistically, he created everything, and then two people made a decision that brought a curse on everything he created. <laughs> awesome. Have you ever had to experience the consequence for someone else's choice? Come on, if you had siblings, you know your siblings do stuff all the time and blamed it on you growing up. Okay, maybe you didn't. Maybe that was just us. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So creation is groaning. Creation is waiting for the day when God sets things right, when he judges the living and the dead when he ends this current age, the time that we live in, where suffering and pain and death and sickness and disease abounds. And that can be really disheartening at times. I listed some of the things I've seen. It was not a conclusive list, and some of the things I've seen I'm not about to list. I've heard people's stories, and some people have got horrible, terrible stories but I've also seen 
the grace, the mercy, and the love of God come into our heart and start transforming people from the inside out. And he gives them hope when they're hopeless. And he lets them feel love so that they can walk out of the shame and they don't have to stay guilty and afraid. And he heals them and restores them to wholeness, not just in their mind and their body, but in their spirit. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. How many of you, your body's grown? The over 40s, the body doesn't work quite like it did when you were under 40, does it? You hit the weights a little bit too hard or you hit the treadmill a little bit harder than you want to, your body will groan. How many get weary of the suffering that you see around you? You know, I remember I'm walking down the street in Manila and there's homeless people everywhere, kids, everywhere, homeless. Your instinct is you give away everything you have and you realize you're not making a dent. So I had to start praying, Holy Spirit, <laughs> who can I help? So there was one young man and one lady. So I just helped them. But here's that lady's story. She had four houses with her husband. Everyone say four. She lived a pretty good life. Then her husband died suddenly. And her kids kicked her out and took the four houses for themselves and she was stuck on the street trying to sell cigarettes and candies to scrape enough money by so she could eat. Life can turn around quick. But you know what? We helped her get into an apartment. We helped her get a place to stay so she had a little bit of shelter and start working out of that painful situation. And it started when she gave her life to Christ and started exercising some forgiveness towards those that wronged her. Then her life started to turn around because she took herself out of prison. That's one. I could talk all day about the pain and suffering that I've seen. But see, there's a day when God's going to make the wrong things right. When he's going to execute justice and judgment. And just because you see, I'm going to say it like this, justice de delayed is not justice denied. Just because you think that someone's getting away with something, there's going to be a day of reckoning that will come. Maybe not in this life, but man, I'd rather have to pay the price now than later. Amen. With, we too, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies he has promised us. You get a new body, that's good news. And we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. So what's gonna happen is sin and sickness and disease and suffering and sorrow and grief are gonna be eliminated forever. And God is gonna judge everything. And when he judges everything, he will bring things to justice because that's part of his character. He has to do that. The good news for you and me is Jesus went to the cross and he bore the penalty for our sin on his own body. That's good news because 
if he doesn't pay the penalty for your sin, guess who's going to pay the penalty for your sin? You are. And you know how long it's going to take you to pay that off? Forever. You can't. So the hope that we have is God is going to bring us to the place where we can receive his love, receive his forgiveness, and start taking on his nature and his character here. Which leads us to our final conversation for today in Romans chapter 8, skip down a few verses, and he says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And then Paul gives a very truncated list. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You know how many people I've talked to, well, I sold my soul to the devil. I said, that's nice. Jesus is still greater. He'll, he'll buy it back. <laughs> what do you mean? You, you don't have to stay the devil's property. God, God will buy it back. He already did. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we're talking about this thing called love, foundationally, you and I both need to have an understanding that nothing can separate you from God's love. You as a human have a choice, though, and you can walk away from your relationship with God, just like you can walk away from a relationship with other people. I mean, hey, I can go to my neighbor and I can say, here's some food. Here, let me bless you with this. But they have to choose if they're going to accept or receive that gift. They can tell me to go away. But who's not receiving the benefit? My wife's a fantastic cook. If she's bringing food over, you probably want to eat it. Right, Renee? Renee loves my wife's guacamole. <laughs> but see, what happens is you can have a relationship with God where you can receive the benefits of relationship with God, or you can walk away from him and tell him to keep his benefits. The choice is yours, not mine. You have to choose, do I want to live as God wants me to live, or do I want to live for myself? But there's consequence. There's, there's action and reaction, and every choice you make will have a, some of them will be good, and some of them won't be so good. It's just like in life. You know, you can say nice things to the person that you're married through, or you can say mean things to the person you're married to. Which one you think is going to get a better result? No, for real. You can work really hard in life, or you can coast. But eventually, if you coast, it catches up with you. See, sin always wants to destroy. Sin always wants to break relationship with God. This is why as Christians, God's given us a new nature. He's given us forgiveness of sin so that we can have a relationship with the creator that was broken back in Genesis. God will bring us back to the place where we can have a relationship with him today. Okay, stand up with me. 
Before we go to communion, the Lord's Supper, I would like to go to Romans 7. And in verse 4, it says, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce the harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful de desires were at work within us. In the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we've died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. There's this picture here where we don't have to be captive to the power of sin any longer. And it starts with repentance, plus faith in the sacrifice of Christ to pay off the debt of your sin, repentance plus faith, and God will give you what we call in Christianity salvation. He'll bring you to a place of safety. He'll rescue you from yourself. He will forgive you of your sin, and he will give you eternal life. That's actually really good news. But you have to lay your life down at the foot of the cross. You have to be willing to repent of your sin and then forsake it. And some people, well, I don't know if I can. Well, that's not the issue if you can, because your heart hasn't changed until God comes in and gives you a new heart, and then you have the ability from within to live the Christian life. The saddest thing I see in churches day in, day out, is people who have given their life to Christ but then don't exercise their power over temptation. They just give in to the flesh. They don't even try to live the Christian life. They just said a prayer and they get in the club. And they think they're doing God a favor by showing up and worshiping every, every couple weeks. The transformed heart wants relationship with Christ, and the good news is you can have relationship with him too. So I'm going to challenge you, if you've never repented of your sin, in a moment I'm going to give you a chance to come down here to repent of your sin and give your life to Christ. And you know what? He'll give you a new heart. He'll change you from the inside out, and your life will never be the same. But connected to that in obedience, remember, Eve got in trouble through disobedience. Obedience, Jesus said, after you repent of your sins, you need to be baptized in water. Why? We identify with him publicly, but see, it even talks about it here. It has to do with dying to the old nature and letting the new nature live. Didn't we just read that? In baptism, you let the old nature die with all the shame, the guilt, the pain, the suffering of the past, and then you let the resurrection life of God bring you to a new place where you start living life from the inside out. And it gives you a fresh start in life, free from the shame of the past. And then you're living a Christian life, and then you start working things out, then you start walking down this, this life. So I see Pastor Brian and Sherry are here this morning, and Violet too. Hi, Violet. If you've never repented of sin or if you need to be baptized, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You just have to come out of your chair, come down here and join them because we publicly declare our allegiance to Christ. And in that moment, a transformation will happen. They'll pray with you. They can even baptize you today. They'll give you a class to teach you a little bit more about it, even a change of clothes. But the truth is, 
in obedience to God's command after we repent of sin. If you never repented, you need to come down here. Give your life to Christ. Watch what God will do with your heart. He'll bring healing. And then you can receive his love because you can be back into relationship with him where you've been out of relationship with him. And if you need to be baptized, come down here and allow God to transform you. Let him change you. Leave the past behind and take up a fresh start with him today. So if God's talking to your heart this morning, I want you to come out of your chair, come down here, join them. As we start going into this, if, if, if that applies to you and you want to come join, Pastor Brian and Sherry, you're welcome to join them right here. And then let's go to the bread. Oh, come on down, guys. 